Welcome to episode two of the Hurt Circus. I'm your host, Nicholas Ridiculous. Thanks for coming back and stopping in for episode two. Um, I know the last episode may have gotten a little little downer, but that's probably going to happen from time to time when we're digging through this kind of baggage, but I'm always going to try and wrap it up and make it kind of relevant and give it a point and reason. Although sometimes I may get into my own feelings a little bit and go off on a tangent on my own personal beliefs or opinions towards some certain systems. And now, let's get into it. I always felt a strange kinship with Mowgli in the part of the Jungle Book that they never really touched on too much, which was the dichotomy of life between the jungle and the village, and how that difference may may have affected Mowgli, and if he amalgamated to the village, or was it a bit of a struggle? And did he crave the freedom of the jungle again? But then when he went back to the jungle, did he crave the warmth of the village? And I always saw that correlation between the life I had lived with my young mother, when it was just a more independent life, and then to be taken into the village where, the village where it was just so unknown and so much different, and he just wasn't adjusted for it. So it's hard to know really what's better, the jungle or the village. When you've experienced one before you knew what good and bad was, and the other when all it felt was bad. I wonder if he had the days of inner turmoil, you know? The days where his animal inside was just at war with the man-cub. I've been reflecting a lot on my own, my own journey. It's, um, it's hard sometimes, like, some days it's just... It's like, a, it's like this inner battle with myself to just be happy. And the only person not letting that happen is myself. And it's a strange, a strange reflex built to just not allow myself to feel fully. I guess not feel fully, but feel the, the moment fully. Be present. I'm not sure why it's so difficult. It makes me think of the days back in foster homes and things like that where you wouldn't be able to truly, truly focus on the life that you were th- forced forced into suddenly because you were still kind of hoping to get back to that other life and it's strange because you almost you see, it's like it's like the fucking multiverse or something you know you, you you imagine the other timeline you know if reality hadn't changed like the school you would have went to the friends you would have had the life you would have led the struggles you would have had and maybe that other person that other version so that it makes it hard to fully commit to the this new reality because even even though the other one may not have been up to up to the standards of whoever the fuck but it wasn't all bad and you need a little bit of struggle to truly to truly figure out who you are and to figure out your strengths and your weaknesses and to be able to recognize those not to be coddled with nothing truly meaningful all just it's all just gestures almost none of it's there's no real there's no real substance behind any of it it's all just trick or treats, you know. It's not. It's not big bank. So you start to split almost, splitting your head, splitting your thinking, splitting your feelings. There's all these people around, and they say they're there to help you, and it's just you don't know what the help is they're talking about. Because if anything, they just cause you so much inconvenience. I wonder. I look back and wonder, like, why it became so normal. Why things didn't ever really change. They just started in this slow decline and then kind of just picked up a little bit, but never too much, and just kept declining. On all sides, I know. It's hard to speak openly just about everything because it's so bottled up, you know? It's, um, and for so long, you just, you don't speak out, you don't say anything because what the fuck do you know, right? But holy fuck. Then you get to the point where 
you're standing there with your mom and you realize in the way your priorities line up and the way her priorities line up, you're more of the adult. And that makes me think of the classic age of stagnation. And I guess for some people, that age is pretty young. Hell, I'll admit, it's probably pretty young for me. I'm sitting here trying to grow up and all this bullshit and I ain't even got all the working parts because you coddled so much in such bullshit ways that it just on uneven ground. And how do you fix that? How do you go back? You can't, you can't, right? You go back and you try and get all these pieces and you try and put them together and they get to a point you you realize they don't even fucking fit together. They're not even for the same fucking thing. It's just all bullshit. It's fucking energy put in the wrong places. Is it time that heals it? I don't know. It seems like people these days, when they drift, they just keep drifting. I don't know. I don't know how to, how, how it stops. I, don't, hmm. I feel like I've just been in orbit too long. That it's just, it's all just normal. It's all just, everyone's just in their own fucking gravitational pull, just doing their own shit. And sometimes you intersect, sometimes you don't. I'm off on a tangent here. Let's get to it. Split between what should be and what was. That's that dual, that dual reality split. You exist in the limbo and life just passes you by. It's a trip because it doesn't really stop. You just get in the habit and then before you know it, it's all slipped away. You've just been existing without fixing anything. Without fucking fixing anything. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? Get it together. Get it together. Just, just start without fixing anything. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? Get it together. Get it together. Just, just start without fixing anything. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? Get it together. to talk over something so calloused over it's because it's hard to know where to begin it's all fragmented up like in the last episode i sit down and i try and do this and i end up just dancing around because it's hard to know where to begin you know it's also fucking fragmented i look back and i know there's times when i'd been taken away from my mother but before my younger brother was born before she became a guma which was a whole trippy thing because she was always looking for his love and support you know she just wanted someone to take care of her. She was young. And, uh, yeah. This slick-haired, tanned, faded sunglasses Italian man comes up and just takes her in. And her son. And his wife made good food. It was, uh, it was a trippy dynamic, to say the least. I remember one time, we were, after my brother was born, we were playing around in his basement. It was the house with, uh, all that gold and marble furniture upstairs. So we were all stuck in the basement. The, you know, that, that kid room shit. We're playing down in this room... We just find these handcuffs and we're just playing around, whatever, you know, don't think anything of it. And we just put them on my ankles and yeah, they were on my ankles and we're playing around, whatever. 
And then my mom comes, and so is Mario. That was his name. And uh, they just start flipping the hell out. No idea why. We were just playing around. We thought they were toys, you know? Turns out they were not toys. Yeah. So I had gotten these police-issue handcuffs stuck around my ankles, and the only way to get them off was to go to the police station and get them cut off, I guess. So we hopped up into, uh, you know, one of those big old Astro vans with the empty back. It had no seats in it, so I kind of was standing back there and like was just tripping all over the place because they were fucking tight on my ankles, man. They were so fucking tight. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they just told them I like found them in like an alleyway somewhere because the city was pretty, pretty big city, so that shit could happen. And yeah, they fucking just snipped that shit off. I remember my little feet dangling off the desk and I just clip clip, fucking pieces fell off into the darkness. I, of course, had no real idea. It was probably like four, four or five at the time. So I had no real inkling of what was even happening. I was just used to living in a state of just mm, action ready, I guess. Because not maybe soon before that or soon after, I'd been bitten pretty severely by a dog, and that was just like a whole other thing, you know. Just sitting there at a gym class, kid with the bandage on his leg big old hole but it was never bad it was life i was very independent which wasn't really wasn't bad you know i always i've always i always got myself once i started going to school i always got myself up and ready to school go to the store when i wanted you know do all the shit but i guess to some people that wasn't wasn't okay we'd always hang out at my mom's friend's house this guy named andre it was a real trip because i'd always play in 64 with his girlfriend's brother and he had cerebral palsy Cerebral? Cerebral palsy? He had CP. And um, it was a trip because he would play N64 with like one hand. It was like the trippiest thing to see because it was just like, it was crazy. I always saw the craziest shit in that apartment. Watched a dog being born there. I watched a dog give birth there. I watched a dog give birth there. Just was like this pit bull, this big ass pit bull mama just shitting out puppy bubbles. That's all I remember. I was just like... Hmm. Goddamn puppy bubbles, look at that. Goddamn. That was also the apartment where the police came and took me and my little brother away. And pretty sure that time was, was for a pretty long time. I remember too because we had those puffy Adidas jackets, you know, the, the three, three-toned ones, that white, black, and red. And I remember just being in the back of the car. I think they might have turned on the lights for us, which is kind of fucked up. It's like, what the fuck, man? But I remember just looking over at my brother, and I kind of had known the drill, but I don't, he didn't, and it was it was tough. This is where it gets kind of, you know, the memory gets dicey. It's like it's hard to remember exactly. We might have been placed around in different homes for a bit, but we ended up at this this one home, this family, the Falk family. They were, they were good. They were well-off people, that's for sure. And um, we were there for... It's hard to say. A couple years. I remember we spent Y2K there. Maybe like a year or two. It was a while. It was a while. But that was... It was a a different kind of foster home because they were more... They distracted you with things. They had a young son who was probably around the same age as Nino, who was my younger brother at the time. And um, he still is. What the fuck am I saying? But basically, they would distract us with... um, things like they were always into all the things like there was the time pokemon had come out and all this other shit you know what i mean like digimon dragon ball z all the legos all that cool stuff and they just their husband was maybe a ceo or vice president or some shit of some fucking company and so they just had money and the mom was just a stay-at-home mom so she just she even got into a lot of the same shit like when game boys came out 
and Pokemon, you know, blue version, red version. We all got one, and then she even got one. And every night I'd go to bed, and she'd be up, she'd be in her, walk past the room, and she'd be in her bed just fucking rocking that red version like a motherfucker. I mean, this... This bitch got so into the Pokemon craze, she became a Pokemon card dealer. Like, I'm talking buying boxes of packs. We'd all sit there ripping them open. She'd be fucking taking inventory, all that shit. Fucking sorting them out by, like, rarity or whatever. And fucking have different binders for each set. And just have all the neighborhood kids just gang. Fucking gangland on her fucking front lawn. Fucking Poke Market. Man, it was fucking nuts. She started fucking selling snacks and shit. I was like, damn, bitch. Like, what the fuck? The hustle was too real. It was too goddamn real. But I realized it was all just a major, it's all major distractions and shit. It was fun, but it wasn't really, like, fuck, I was still pissing the bed every fucking other night, you know? It was, wasn't really helping, but, I mean, I guess it helped to numb the bullshit. I remember going to school back then, too, because it was always trippy, because it was like, fuck. Eighth graders back then seemed like fucking 20-year-olds, you know what I mean? It was like, it was crazy. School was a whole other ecosystem of a trip. Back, those were the days when fucking you'd actually walk to school and shit. I remember fucking Y2K, because my youngest brother had been born, Brandon. And I remember being so scared, because I don't know. It was fucking Y2K. I thought that shit might have been real. So I was so worried for my mom and my baby brother and wherever they were. And I was just praying they were safe. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the brother that was born in between those two, Julian. He was born soon after Nino, and... It's, I don't know, it's kind of shitty or whatever to say, but, like, he was our, my mom's sacrificial lamb. She had him, and he ended up, his godmother took him in. Didn't take him in, but my mom just couldn't handle, she couldn't handle it all at once. And it was kind of, you know, near a teetering point. And I guess to think, to make it with what she had, she she let his godmother raise him. And it's always it's always tough when the sacrifice doesn't really pay off because in the end we were just really down a brother and then down a whole family a couple years down the road. I'm just kind of jumping around a bit. That's, that's <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to happen from time to time. So come here a little slack here, okay? After the, the Pokemon family, let's just call it that. <laughs> um, but soon after, my mom actually ended up, you know, kind of getting her shit together. And then we got to move back, which was really dope. Cause then my older brother Dustin came from Belleville to live with us, and it was um, it was really dope. Cause it was there's the boys, and then baby Brandon, just no Julian. I mean, yeah, we lived in you know the the bad townhouse neighborhood, you know, but but it happens. That's just always where we were, really. Fuck. Pretty sure it was Candlewood was the neighborhood. And we had some fun times. We were just, you know, we were just being kids. And it was great. And my mom, she, she tried hard. And she did good. She supported us. She was, you know, working them night shifts at Timmy's. The one shitty thing was I didn't really, I didn't go to the same school as my brothers. Because I, I stayed at the school that I had been going to from the foster home. And my brothers didn't. Which was kind of cool because I got to just stay with my friends and whatever but missed there on that sibling that inner school sibling time I remember just I'd always take the city bus to school every morning catch it back home just weird just that little kid riding the city bus every day my brothers were just like two peas in the pod which was just always dope I remember one time them and the neighborhood kids dug up some old uh, jump rope for heart forms and in the middle of the summer they went around they hopped over to the uh, the rich neighborhood with all the real houses and they just went around and they made a couple bucks let me tell you they were freaking proud it was dope 
Might have went over to Fortino's and grabbed a bunch of candy or something. My mom working all night, coming home, bringing us bagels and donuts, which is always just a dope surprise. That upside to that Tim Hortons lifestyle. But we did it, you know. It wasn't wasn't like we had everything, but we had enough, you know. We had that unfinished basement, that boy's den. Staying up all night on the weekend watching TV, watching that Teletoon, Teletoon detour and shit. You know what I'm saying? John Callahan's quads, undergrads, clone high, you know? Mudball fights with the whole neighborhood, manhunt, just real, like, community-ass shit. All the kids in the neighborhood just banding together for fun, getting hurt, getting better, making friends, making enemies, getting crushes, getting crushed, having a rivalry with the slightly better townhouse neighborhood that was right next to ours where it just so happened (laughs) my brother's dad had his ex-family, which was just a whole trippy thing. It was goddamn fucking businessman playboys. This is not the Italian guy I'd mentioned earlier. That guy had gotten deported, actually, from the country for some shit. It's just, like, whole next-level stuff. I don't really talk too much on it because it's my brother's, my brother's side and his deal and his story, you know? But for us, them, tem- them townhouses, that neighborhood, that time, that, that Candlewood, life was it was fun and good and one time my mom went around and she got us to there's always you know the garbage bikes laying around the neighborhood or whatever that people would just fucking pick up and ride or whatever and my mom got us to go around and grab a bunch of them and she just chopped them and spray painted them and gave us each a fucking it wasn't a new bike but to us it was a dope new bike all the days of rent to own and layaway that never really came getting birthday money using it for the family and It was good. It was a good time. And it was just the right amount of struggle. But soon after, it got to a point where we had to move back to Belleville. I never really was too sure why. I just remember it really sucked because, you know, gotta leave your friends and everything. Just so close with, like, like our neighbors, we were just, like, so tight with them. They They were just like a gang of sons just like us to their mother. And they were just like one big tribe. It was really dope. It was like a different, it was just very different. So I never, I was never too sure why we went back to Belleville, but we did. And that, that may have been the, the choice that really, really made our family regress. Because when we got to Belleville, we, we were homeless for a long time. Homeless in the way that, homeless in the way that we were basically, we weren't on the streets, but we were living in people's houses which was just like a whole thing, like a mother and four sons staying in your basement, you know, or staying in your spare room. It was, it was tough. But I think it was because we were on a waiting list for some, you know, affordable townhousing, waiting on that Pine Street get up, you know. But it was shitty because it was like, you know, it was fun in some spots. Like we were in this one house, Janlin Crescent, which it's trippy because <laughs> it's where we first were. We got to Belleville and that's where we were when we left years later. Trivia life does that to you, you know? But we started going to school, you know, making friends, doing that whole thing. Life moved on. We managed. We had fun. Renting movies was our high life, our big nights. Watching Malcolm in the Middle and that Sunday night lineup. Them rituals. 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 Rituals.
fine no matter what happens. 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 And I remember when we actually finally got our, our townhouse after months of just being that, that almost burden on some household of my mom's friend. Staying too long, overstaying the welcome, probably souring relationship. But I remember when we finally got the house, the townhouse, the whatever. That nice four-bedroom spread. Four or five. Maybe f- four. Yeah, four, I think. It was a proud moment. It was... I remember going up in my room, turning that lava lamp on. We watched, like, Monsters, Inc. that first night, I think. It was just good times. It was life with just enough freedom to be able to actually go out and experience some things and learn and grow, make choices and decisions and just be free and be a kid and just have a mom who was trying, you know? But the thing about Belva was it's um, got a very prevalent underbelly. And my family... My family sprouted in that underbelly, and that's where it's grown and flourished. And I guess it was, you know, only a matter of time before uh, the train started to shake on the tracks a bit. But this episode, I also want to read a a Turning Points essay from my high school days when I was in my 12th grade creative writing class. It was a turning point, I guess like it was for some contest that was a... Uh, you were supposed to write an essay on a point in your the turning point in your life where it was kind of like a paradigm shift or like where uh, when everything kind of just changed and didn't really ever go back to the way it was. It's called Jaded Thursdays. It was a regular Thursday for me. I woke up and mom wasn't home. I didn't know where she was, but I knew she would be back sooner or later. My brothers and I got ready for school and carried on as usual. I was a troubled, outspoken kid then, thinking the lifestyle I'd adapted to was normal, but it wasn't. I discovered that later on in the day when they called me away from my 7th grade class and asked me if I could please go to the principal's office. As I walked to the office, my mind was in a race with my feet, trying to figure out what offense I had committed this time. But before my mind could catch up, I was there, knocking on the door of her office. The door opened, revealing my mother, drowning in a pool of her own sadness, as well as two people I did not recognize. I took a seat and began realizing the situation I was in. As the tears began to break me down, I realized it was happening again. Only this time it was as if I was more aware of it happening, and the reasons behind it. I was being taken away from my mother once again. I was being ripped from the clutches that nurtured me from this stage of infancy. The two people turned out to be the reapers of my fate, sent by their mother agency, the Children's Aid Society. They began to explain how they received a phone call from a doctor the night before. The previous night, my mother had decided to dip into an old habit. She dipped herself right into an overdose. I shattered like a mirror into pieces. Disappointment overwhelmed my heart to the point of gasping breaths. Choking on my own tears, I walked to my locker to retrieve my belongings. I was going for a ride with the male of the two reapers. He was taking me to my new home for the next chapter of my life. It was a long, quiet ride, a time to think. Let us zoom out a little bit and take a look at life beforehand. I was the poor kid, so what? I had friends and a sarcastic, mean sense of humor. I was a kid in public school who was suspended many times, the kid who hated authority, so every time I was in trouble, I'd fight it like a self-employed lawyer. It never got me anywhere, but it provided a bit of fun. Everyone thought it was awesome that I had the guts to say what I did, but back in that office, I could see the hurt in her eyes. I could feel the hurt inside myself. It was one of the most uncomfortable environments to be in. I had someone telling me that my life was going to totally change from here on out. After the taking and distribution of my brothers and me, I knew the man had won his case. I no longer felt that bit of excitement and joy I once did. I was left broken, bloodied, and bruised. I was a wounded lion with nothing left but the rest of his days. And I hated it. I hated them. I hated everyone. 
It was about this time that I stopped discussing my emotions, feelings, and basic opinions with those around me because I felt no one cared to listen. Besides, no one would understand. Being taken away from my mother at the age of 12 caused a ripple effect in the ocean I had called life. Its waves altered and disrupted my destined path in new ways. Being moved to somewhere new where I had to adapt to a new environment, new people, and a new life changed me. I met new people who otherwise I never would have met. These people have impacted my life in good and bad ways, helping to create who I am. I have a very dark perception of life and an overall hatred of the whole idea of what our lives are and what they are going to be. But like everyone, I have my ways of coping with the loss and the rioting emotions. There are positive ripples also, as odd as that seems. For example, I am planning on attending college, getting a good career, and helping kids who are going through the same thing I was and am going through. I believe that I can really make a difference in some kid's life, or at least that, so I hope. It was regular Thursday, but that Thursday would change me forever. Now I'm just me, being me, and that's all anyone can really do. In hindsight, my situation was a horrible time for me, and still cuts at my soul, but it has painted a brighter future for me, granted me more opportunities, and the friends I have made since are remarkable people. They have all been the artist's hands in molding who I am today, and who I'll be in the future. I will go on facing yesterday with a frown, today with a grimace, and tomorrow with a smile. This <laughs> poor little emo teenager has no idea what life has in store for him next. <laughs> Back when I wrote that, I felt so optimistic. I was, um, I, I, I was planning to go to college and be a child and youth worker and just try and, you know, have the whole mentality of you can do more do more damage inside the system than outside of it, you know? Make more change and all that. But the reality of that was... <sighs> moved out of my foster home at 18, moved in with my friend and his mom. I got accepted to college and then I moved out to the city where my college was, Kingston, with my friend. And I just didn't have any of the skills or tools to even navigate that whole part of my life it's oh, it's hard to know what you don't know in that situation and what to ask for and um the reasoning behind why you should do what you should do uh, it's one thing to tell someone what to do but like if you're going to tell someone what to do you got to give them the reasoning and when i moved out to kingston the agencies just there's this policy or rules or whatever I had to follow to get money each month basically and of course just did what you had to do to get it but I wasn't really paying attention to the schooling at all I didn't have the, the discipline I guess to get through it so when I flunked out of that child and youth worker program it was a weird kind of downward spiral down to rock bottom over a span of four months or so where I just had to, that's probably when I really started growing up and trying to understand things or actually, or actually he even had a grasping of what that, the understanding even meant of what life is and what to grow up and having to support yourself and pay rent and just learn all of these things that you just didn't even realize you had to know. I got into a lot of debt for a lot of rent that wasn't paid. I got evicted. I almost went homeless, couch surfed a bit, all while just having terrible relationships and bad friends and falling in love with roommates and the, the same roommates marrying your best friends. And it's just like, it's just a crazy, 
a crazy time of just like spiraling out and just maybe that's that weird limbo period between being a teenager and being a young adult where you're just no fucking idea what responsibility is but you're having all these responsibilities and all the fights all the parties all the drugs all the trips the vision quests it's just a wild adventure and the the town it was in was just such a port town so to speak where people were just kind of there for a minute and they'd move on so it's funny to look back on that that bit of writing I did Shaded Thursdays and that last little bit where I seemed to get so I can still see a spark that was in me that was kind of extinguished through all the hardships that I went through trying to navigate the real world or quote unquote the real world after my time in the child welfare system. But I can say I'm still I'm still trying to help and make a difference in different ways now. Not the usual route, but I'm still trying to make a contribution to help and aid any way I can, anyone really, through programs and art courses and, and just and this. You know, I'm trying to get this going just to spark a conversation I guess. And also spark that but I hope that I once had that you hear in the end of that writing, the end of that essay. I wouldn't mind having it back. It's been a long, long time, kind of being bitter about a lot of shit. I think it's time to change. Or at least, if not change, evolve into the next form. So thanks for uh, sticking with me this far, if you're uh, still with me. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, um, it's difficult. It's difficult, as I've said, you know. It's all fragmented, and I'm just trying to put myself back in those places and kind of get the key moment, key points and key moments right now just to get it all out, you know? And just to kind of give an idea of my background and the kind of the journey I've been on so far and where that's going. Probably do two more episodes of this, see how it goes from there. So, uh, you know, if you or anyone you know wants to get involved or be on an episode or anything like that, please get in touch. Um, TheHurtCircus at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at NicholasRidiculous. You can hit me on my website at www.nicholasridiculous.ca. And yeah, you know, watch Step Out There, man, because life's a trip. Shit. Peace.